They say all good things must come to an end. And this season was something good, but it has come to an end. It's the final episode, DJ. Just PSA to everybody. Deshaun is officially crying on camera again. You don't see this part on the podcast. I can't be crying at the start of the episode, man. We got we got a ways to go because we have a lot to talk about. We got a lot to talk about. We got the Vanier Cup. We got some snubs. We got a lot to talk about. Let's get into it. My name is Deshaun Stevens. And this is DJ Lalama. And welcome to the Take It or Leave It podcast, the show where we deliver you sports football news for all 27 different schools, DJ. The Vanier Cup was must-watch. Would you agree? I totally agree. I think last week we we hit the nail on the head, right? We said it was uh, the game we all wanted that we didn't know that we needed, right? Dating back to the very first episode, and I think Laval and Saskatchewan both gave Canadian football fans exactly what they wanted to see in championship. I would agree. I would agree. I think... They put together an instant classic. I think it was probably one of the, the best Vanier Cups that we've seen in a long time. I think it was probably the most exciting game we've seen maybe since 2014 when it was Montreal and uh, McMaster. Definitely uh, did not disappoint and lived up to the hype. But let's get into it. The Saskatchewan Huskies took on the Laval Rouge Or at Western Alumni Stadium in London, Ontario. And Laval won this game 30-24. to Arnaud Desjardins went 27 for 36, 297 yards, while the Heck Crichton Award winner Kevin Mattel had eight receptions, 142 yards, and one passing TD, while Kalenga Muganda had 76 rushing yards and one TD. On the Saskatchewan side, Mason Nias, their second team, All-Canadian, had 344 yards, three TDs, one interception, and he hit nine different receivers on the day he went out swinging. DJ, I'm going to start with you. What are your thoughts on this game? Desjardins should have been the MVP with his stat line and the way that he commanded. I think there was a couple of times where he stepped out of the pocket, made some things happen with his legs to ultimately extend drives. Uh, he's he's the do just MVP, but I mean, how about those you know performances by Mike Tal and Blanchard to, to seal the deal and bring the Vanier Cup back to Quebec? You talk about Desjardins, and I think the, the key storyline for both these quarterbacks as the game progressed, because they both started off hot. They both had their, you know, their drive scoring in the first quarter and stuff like that. And then I think in the second half of the second quarter, all the way throughout to the end of the fourth quarter, I think you kind of saw these offenses slow down. You saw pockets start to break down. You saw how both quarterbacks were able to handle pressure. Uh, Both of those front sevens brought the heat all day. And you saw Mason Nice had to leave the pocket numerous times and Arnaud Desjardins had to leave the pocket numerous times. And you could just tell every time Arnaud Desjardins left the pocket, he was calm, cool, collective. He did not look phased at all. He would leave the pocket, continue going through his reads, still be ready to, to throw that pass. And, you know, he would always make something happen or take off and pick up, you know, seven to 10 yards, right? Whereas Mason Nias, you could tell he's not really used to, you know, getting the heat, getting the pressure. Desjardins, I think we learned a lot about him yesterday. I think for a lot of football fans, you don't get to see some of these Quebec teams play, specifically Laval, because they're on like TVA. And so for a lot of people, it's their first time seeing Desjardins play yesterday, and he's so calm, right? And, and you could just see for a, sec- a second-year player, first-year starter, he's going to be a problem for Laval for the next three years. So really impressed with what I saw from Desjardins yesterday. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think when we talk about, you know, Mason Ayas, I mean, first of all, shout out, you know, to him on a brilliant career. You know, I think he's going to go down as, as one of, if not the best quarterback, you know, over the course of his generation in new sports football. Um, you know, since Trey Ford has left, you know, I think out West, you know, Mason Ayas is right up there. And, um, you know, you look at the game here and, you know, Saskatchewan, you know, we call it kind of bully football, right? We talk about their front seven on defense, but we talk about that offensive line. We talk about the two headed monster at running back and, you know, how they kind of just impose their will. And because of that, you know, it sets up the RPO for Mason Ayas and he really does have time right? The way that those guys can get out and, and scat out of the backfield and, and provide additional outlets and, and safety nets for him. You know, but one stat that really sticks out to me is, you know, Kabongo only had two carries. And I mean, Record Frank only had 12. But between those 14 rushes, 100 total yards came on two. So if you take the look at the rest of the game, that means that 12 additional rushes for essentially 30 yards outside of the two big plays. To me, that's not good enough in championship football when you've got to where you are because of the balanced offense that you have. You know, everyone knew that Mason Nias was going to have to make some throws. He was going to have to make some plays. 
But when Laval was able to, and or the offensive coordinator at Saskatchewan chose to go to Nias instead of balancing it out with the run, I think you make it easier on the opponent. If the running effect is not there, if the potential is not there to have to stop the run, I mean, you look at what Laval's DBs and secondaries were able to do. I mean, Lavalie had a hell of a night. Lavalie might be the best halfback in Canada right now. Based on based on his playoffs, you know his performance over the last four weeks. So I do wish that you know Ted and Riker got the ball more. I wish that we would have seen a little bit more balance because I think it would have helped Mason Ayas. But now if you flip that over to Laval side, I mean they couldn't run because Laval did a great job stopping the run. And I'm not trying to take anything away, right? And I think you know we talked about Laval's DBs. I think a couple episodes ago how they would have to step up if Laval wanted to go on and win a Vanier. And I mean, they did, right? I'm not talking about yardage, but I'm talking about the bend don't break, right? When you look at what they were able to do, you know, yes, Nias spread the ball around, no questions asked, but I mean, he only had two receivers go go for over 65 yards, you know? So it was balanced. I thought Laval's defensive scheme really shut down Saskatchewan. Um, but to your point, man, I, I think it was a great game and um, Laval made a couple more plays. I kind of agree with you when you talk about Tecobongo specifically. I think there was a lot of opportunity left on the table with him. He only carried the ball two times, but damn, both times he touched the ball coming out the backfield. Impressive. And I said this a lot yesterday. I like to call to like Tecobongo like a jack of all trades. He's such a great kick returner that anytime you hand the ball out of the backfield, he immediately becomes a kick returner and he can make something out of nothing. And that's what he did on both of his runs. He had that big run that broke for 10 plus yards. And on his second run, it wasn't a big, it wasn't a big game, but like his first point of contact was in the backfield and he still gained positive yardage. So especially considering how earlier on in the game, Saskatchewan did a great job of establishing the run with Riker Frank. Right. And I get that, like, listen, in the second half, you really couldn't do much with Riker Frank. We saw more of him coming out of the slot in the second half than we did out the backfield. And I get that, you know, you had Jean-William Rouleau and you had William Quinnenville and you had Alec Poirier stopping that run game with Riker Frank. But I would have at least tried to continue establishing the run with Tech Cabongo, see what he can do. Because just from the carries that he had, I think the potential was better with him on the day. And I think especially when you're facing a front seven, that's going to be like clogging up that line of scrimmage. You want your more talented ball carrier at least touching the ball and seeing if he can make something out of nothing, giving him that opportunity. So I think, you know, Ted Cabongo would have been a huge piece for them. And I think even entering yesterday, one of the big things that was on my mind was these two teams both have all-round players. For Saskatchewan, their all-round player is their UBC transfer, Ted Cabongo. And for Laval, their all-round player, like their Swiss Army knife, is David Delaire. And for me, I was saying, whoever can use their Swiss Army knife the best today will win this game. David Delaire had an amazing game. As a blocker, he had an amazing game. Receiving, he had an amazing game. He got he caught a receiving touchdown. He did his job yesterday. And they even yeah. they even mixed it up. They had they had Kalenga coming up at the backfield and you know moving up into Wildcat and, and you know taking those direct snaps. They had Kevin Metal direct snaps and throwing passes. Whereas on Saskatchewan side, their only Swiss Army knife is Ted Cabongo and you know, they didn't really do much with him. So I think that was a, a highlight for me yesterday. But you touch on Mason Nice. For me, it's just heartbreaking to see him retire <laughs> without without the heck, without first team all Canadian, and then now without a national championship. That's what happens between the white lines, right? And we talk about these guys being people, right? And and, and great um ambassadors for the game across the country. And I mean, you know, the fact that Mason Nias, I mean, I know his story. I mean, I, you know, basically as soon as I left, he he came in. Uh, in terms of Canada West, and it's been a joy to coach against him and and watch him do what he's done on the field. But I mean, this guy teaches, right? Like he teaches in a high school in, in in Saskatoon, right? And he's still as good as he is. And you know, you look at what he's done to elevate that program since he's been there. You look at what he's done to help elevate, you know, football in the province of Saskatchewan. You look at what he's done in terms of being a leader and a mentor in that community. I mean, those are really the legacy type moments that we're all going to remember from a guy like Mason Nias as he, you know, moves on into the next chapter of his career, right? Whether it be professionally or personally. And, you know, when we look back, you know, at people that have come through and made you sports better, he's on that list and deservedly so. And I think, again, 
you're heartbroken because there's only one person that can be crowned a champion. And to see him come up just a little short back-to-back years, I mean, that'll sting, no questions asked. But that dude can sign off on his career knowing that he left U Sports, specifically the Huskies program, better than how he found it. And I mean, when we start playing this game, that's all you want to be able to do. That's facts. I think legacy, you're right. Legacy goes beyond what you do on the field. You can be a great football player, but you know, if you're a great person and great leader in your community off the field, that is what lives on forever. And I think Mason Nice is, you know, he epitomizes that. Kudos to him. Again, yeah, he's a ninth grade teacher right now in teacher's college. <laughs> and he's, you know, teaching math and science. And after practice, he goes home and he grades papers. That's yep. crazy, man. <laughs> That's crazy. Yep. Um, but big ups to him in the next chapter of life. Also, I heard Saskatchewan Rough Riders added him to their negotiation list after the game. Just saying. So, you know, uh, you know what, man, I, I just want to there's another really good, you know, quarterback from Saskatchewan that I played with, Jordan Yance. And I remember, you know, his last, I mean, his last game almost single-handedly took us to a Vanier Cup in 2014. And the Bombers added him to the, you know, to the off-season roster, but then he didn't get a single rep in camp. And, you know, you just look at what some of these gunslingers can do from across Canada. And I think you're seeing the narrative change, right? Thank you, Brandon Bridge. Thank you, Nathan Rourke. Thank you, Andrew Buckley, right? Trey Ford now. I just hope that when they sign Canadian quarterbacks, it's not just another arm in camp anymore. And I'm talking about the youth sport variety. I genuinely hope that Mason Ias gets a chance to sling the ball in meaningful reps, both practice and game. And then, you know, let, let, you know, the people that be decide his fate, but he's earned the right to have a chance. He's a born leader. He's taken that program to new heights. You want winners in your locker room. And I think he does just that. I agree with you. I think we kind of have to see that narrative around Canadian quarterbacks begin to change. I remember when, when Noah Pickett got drafted, well, he didn't get drafted. I remember when we went to Argos training camp. The fact that he didn't get drafted was ridiculous to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he finishes as the all-time passer. Crazy. I remember he went to Argos training camp, and I watched him. And he was just an arm in training camp. He didn't get a single snap in preseason. Yeah. I remember when um, Michael O'Connor got drafted by Toronto. He was just an arm in training camp. Didn't get much snaps in preseason. I think that narrative needs to change. You're starting to see more Canadian quarterbacks who are coming out of college who are, you know, high-quality players. Now we're at the point where the crossover between the NCAA and U Sports is getting ridiculous. Now you're having so many players from, you know, spend four years in the NCAA come home to be closer to home and do their masters. And you're having these quarterbacks face that type of talent. The crossover now is more than it's ever been. And so it's just like, listen, like the talent level is it's blending in now, you know, so yeah. we can't we can no longer look at the, the product and be like, oh, well, you know, there's a there's a big wall between U Sports and NCAA. No, the crossover is happening rapidly. So yeah. um, would love to see Mason Ice get an actual opportunity. Listen, you look at also the two coaches as well. Glenn Constantine, you know, wins his 11th in program history. Scott Flory still knocking on the door. You look at Scott Flory, man, he is on the doorstep of kind of stepping into that elite tier. And he's knocking, man. Last And it's hard for him. Last year, he had to face off against Greg Marshall, who's the second all-time winningest coach in new sports history. And this year, he has to face off against Glenn Constantine, who's the all-time winningest coach. But I think the coaching storyline there with Scott Flory is, man, like he's still knocking on that door. In my opinion, he is in that upper echelon, top tier of new sports coaches, but still needs that Vanier Cup ring. So he's done a great job since taking over that program. He took over that program under a lot of heat. He took over for a legend in Brian Towers, who was there for a long time. And a lot of people were expecting big things out of Scott Florian. What has he done? He's brought them to two consecutive national championships. It brought them back to becoming on the edge of becoming a dynasty once again. And again, I'm I'm biased. I played linebacker, obviously, in you know, in my professional and, and amateur career. But I, I want to throw this out there. Glenn Constantine's an ex-linebacker. He played linebacker in college. You look at the CFL, right? Michael Shea, ex-linebacker, right? College and pro. And to me, what those two individuals have been able to do from a culture standpoint, and you see it in spades on the field, there's something about having to control a huddle on defense while you play. And somehow this translation to coaching seems to be easier. It's easier to work with people around you. You can build up programs and it's sustainable success. And people just buy in. Like Laval you often don't hear headlines because everyone is just so bought in and nothing matters until November 25th. Winnipeg Blue Bombers for the last four years, it's been the exact same thing. And I just think it's so interesting that really like, you know, being in control of a defense at a very high level, you know, in Canadian college football right now seems to be a ticket 
right, to to being a, a good head coach in a lot of ways. And on the Scott Flory side of things, I mean, outstanding football career, but, he, you know, playing the line of scrimmage, you know, like it, it's just it's so unique when you start going into the weeds on, you know, where these guys came from and, and what their trajectories look like. And I just I'd be remiss if I didn't mention how similar, you know, Michael Shea and Glenn Constantine's development stage of their playing career at the university level was. And now you see what they've been able to do at both respective levels. I mean, are there two better coaches at either level over the last, you know, since 2000, really? I mean, you could throw Mark Trustman's name in there, but like, are there two better coaches? The running joke with Glenn Constantine is that like CFL teams try to call him every year, specifically the Montreal Alouettes. And yep. he just, he doesn't pick up the call anymore. <laughs> he just why, why would you though? I mean, like, let's be yeah. honest, man. What Laval's got over there. I mean, first of all, they got basically nicer facilities than any CFL team. Yep. They get better attendance than seven of nine teams. Like, why why would you leave? You know? And don't get me wrong. At some point, you're going to need a new voice. Right? At some point, you're going to need a new voice in any locker room. But until that's really drawn out for you and, and you know, McGill finishes ahead of you, why would you leave? Why would you leave? When you just look at the job itself, you're you're a head coach for a CFL team. You only kind of have control of that roster, coaching decisions. When you're a head coach of a university program, you're essentially the GM. Yep. You can mold that program into what you want it to be. And he's molded that program into being the greatest program in university football history. All right, listen, let's switch topics away from the Vanier Cup because I think the big thing that also came out this weekend was the Heck Crichton Award winner as well as the All-Canadian list. So here we go. To the surprise of many, Laval receiver Kevin Mattel was named the Heck Crichton Award winner. He becomes the first receiver to win the Heck since Western's Andy Fantuz in 2005 and only the second player in Laval Rouge or program history to win the heck. What were your thoughts on this selection, DJ? I mean, listen, from a pure talent standpoint, I mean, you can't argue that my is the best receiver in Canada. You can't argue that, you know, he is probably the biggest impact player in Canada. I think where I have a little bit of difficulty with my winning is that you look at what Desjardins was able to do this year as well and when you have two players that rise above the rest and they're from the same team and Mytel can't get the ball unless Desjardins gets him the ball you know to me it's just it's really hard it's really hard to say hey you know Mytel is that guy again I'm not taking anything away I think he could start on a CFL team tomorrow you know what I mean? Like, I think he's that talented. But you look at what Mason Nias had been able to do, not only this season, but last year, his entire career. And part of me just thinks, man, you get everyone involved. You get 11 people touching the football on offense almost every single week. You've gone two straight undefeated, like basically undefeated seasons. And, you know, you don't win the award because you have this x-factor game breaker that has also the top quarterback according to the voters in canada i just don't think you have my have the season he had without desjardins uh, nias did a lot on his own right and i think that to me is where the discrepancy maybe falls again i'm not going to disregard kevin my is a deserving winner of the heck right like let me make that clear just to me as someone that has played I just think the impact of Nias on the program is probably just a little greater relative to the solo impact of Mytel because Desjardins was so strong. And you made a good point there when you say Mytel doesn't have the season that he has without Desjardins. And I think it's also vice versa. Desjardins doesn't have the season that he has without Mytel. And it's interesting because I think we all hear Mason Nice doesn't win the heck. And then we see that he's a second team All-Canadian and they have Desjardins as the first team All-Canadian. It's interesting. It's interesting to see the perception. So the perception there is that Desjardins, for these voters, was the better quarterback of the two. But you kind of just said it. Mason Nice does not have that one standout receiver. His best receiver was Daniel Perry. Yeah. Daniel Perry and then his next best receiver was Brett Favre. Both of them had identical seasons, both a little over 600 yards. Perry had three touchdowns. Favre had five. 
right? He didn't have anyone that went for like 700 yards or anything like that, 12 touchdowns, nothing like that. Um, he had to make a lot out of very little. Now, again, very talented receiving core, but he made them all look good. And then you look at Desjardins and you look at Mattel, like they made each other look good. They made each other look good. Uh, I think when it comes to Kevin Mattel, the biggest thing I've heard over the last couple of days is a lot of people have been saying he doesn't deserve the award because he hasn't put up all-time great numbers, such as, for example, Andy Fantuz did when he won the Heck Crichton Award back in 2005. I personally don't think we should be comparing current day MVPs to stat lines from 20 years ago, nearly 20 years ago. Because the game is completely different back then, played completely different back then. I'm sure secondaries back then weren't as great as they are now, right? Sure. And, and so you can't compare Andy Fantuz in 2005 to Kevin Mattel in 2022. But if you look back on some previous seasons from some receivers, uh, they've had they've had slightly better years, right? I look at even Tyler Ternowski in 2018. He had 14 touchdowns, you know, over a thousand yards. He didn't even win MVP that year, and in, in his conference, right? So I see that argument, but I think everything just comes down to the Vanier Cup. And for a lot of people, it's their first time seeing Kevin Mattel play. Because again, a lot of these people don't watch Quebec football because they don't have that subscription. You saw why he won the Heck Crichton Award. Absolutely. And and again, he's deservedly the Heck Crichton winner. Like we're not saying that he shouldn't have been. It's our, you know, take it or leave our opinions. One thing that's really important here, you know, we, we I'm not taking anything away from what Desjardins did this year. Right. But when you actually want to draw the narrative between Maital and Desjardins, right, about 30% of Desjardins' completions went to Maital. 60% of his touchdowns went to Maital. So, regardless if it's more Maital or more Desjardins or, you know, however you want to, you know, draw that line in the sand, they can't have the seasons they had solo without them being you know that dynamic duo so from my standpoint as voters i'm honestly a little shocked that you know there wasn't more of a split between those two to make it a little harder to have ultimately one of them win the heck and i think when you look at nias to everything that we've already said about the guy his career you know we talked about this before from a pure narrative standpoint it would have been really nice for him just to go out on top you know, to win, to win the heck, you know, he's a guy that deserves it. Um, Desjardins still got three years left. You know, my towel, if he wants it, he still has three years left. Yeah. So it's it's those types of things where, again, not taking anything away from Laval. I just think those two together go hand in hand and should almost be co-heck winners then if we're going to play that game. Whereas Nias did a lot on his own. That's all I'm saying. To your point uh, for Desjardins without Matal. He has 1,700 passing yards, around 1,700 passing yards, and only eight touchdowns on the season. Yep. He, doesn't even, he doesn't even eclipse double digits in touchdowns, right? Yep. Uh, so that says a lot right there. And even when Mattel, looking at the Vanier Cup, though, eight receptions, 142 yards, and a passing touchdown. And he was playing the game hurt. Oh, like he's Charlie, a baller. Charlie Ringling did that alligator roll, rolled up his knee and his ankle. He was limping the entire second half and still added another 40 yards. So it just shows the heart that he has. And I think a lot of people learned a lot about Kevin Mattel in that game yesterday because there was a lot of hate coming yeah. towards him for winning the hack, even though he didn't do anything, right? All he did was just ball out all season. And, you know, other people chose him to win the hack. So he's getting a lot of hate. But I think yesterday he proved to a lot of people why he should be respected at the very least. The um, thing that I like about Mattel too, I mean, let's use two recent examples. The Phil Pop brothers, obviously unbelievable talents you know, when it comes to their skill set and what it can bring to a football team. And you've seen it, you know, in their freshman years in the CFL. But those two guys, I mean, they're they're shifty, right? They make, you know, spectacular catches. They're shifty. They can be used in a bunch of different roles, but they're not going to lower the shoulder and run over somebody. And just the way that you're able to use my talent, his skill set, he always falls forward. He always drops his shoulder. He makes the physical catches. He can go in and grab the ball in the backfield and do what he needs to do between the tackles as much as he can off tackle, right? Or in the in the jet sweep game. So this guy's a ball player. Uh, he's the best skill position player in Canada. No questions asked right now. He continue, you know, if he continues to ascend the way he should, why can't he win another heck? Right. So kudos to him. But uh, again, maybe I got a soft a soft spot for my Canada West guy, but. Um, you know, voters voted the way they did, and uh, Mattel is the heck. So kudos to him. If he won the heck doing this in his second year of eligibility, 
what is year three going to look like? What is year four going to look like with Arnaud Desjardins? You know exactly. what? I wouldn't be surprised, though. I wouldn't be surprised if they give it to Arnaud Desjardins in the future. If they both, if they both ball out, you know what I'm saying? They, they right. got to give it to the quarterback, yeah. right? Uh, even Glenn Constantine said Arnaud Desjardins reminds him of, of Benoit Guru, who was before the only Laval player to ever win the heck. So I yeah. could see I could see Arnaud getting a heck. But again, Mattel, second year, yeah. 12 touchdowns. What is he going to do in year three and year four? DJ, let's move on from the Hecrighton Award. Let's talk about all Canadians. I think we already touched on Mason Nice, Arnaud Desjardins, that first team, second team, all Canadian uh, debate. Do you have any more thoughts on the all Canadian list? No, I mean, um, I do think, uh, you know, putting Desjardins ahead of Nias. I'm not going to comment on who should have been where. I think they're both great talents. And it, to me, it's a coin flip, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, but just to have a quarterback as a finalist for the heck, but then not be the first team all Canadian at that position, to me, that just is semi-questionable. You know, the other three nominees are on the first team offensive list. Um, and you kind of just raise your eyebrows about maybe the why or how close the voting was. Um, but I think to, to your point, when you look at this all Canadian list, I mean, there's some no doubt, you know, nominees. I mean, Keon Edwards, absolutely best running back in Canada, right? Mytel, best receiver in Canada. You look at, you know, I mean, essentially Western Laval split the O-line, right? And shout out to Theo Benedict on, you know, a, a fantastic year as well. But I think the people that are supposed to be there are there. Right. Not only from how the programs did, um, but typically speaking, I mean, how do you how do you put a lineman from any other program other than Laval and Western in there? You know, um, just for the sake of, of what they do. Um, I like to see some young guys get some love too. like you look at Desjardins being in a second year, Bussy being in a second year, my being in a second year, the gay being in a second year. You know, I like seeing some young guys get some of the love they deserve. And now the expectations for those respective individuals go through the roof, right? As we move on, when we move to defense, right? Again, a ton of youth, um, but I, you know, shout out to Anthony Bennett. He had a phenomenal career, you know, as a D end. I mean, he really, you know, helped change the university of Regina program, you know, him and Ryder Varga between the two of them, you know, really took the culture of that program to new heights. You know, I think for natural, I mean, he's a outstanding ball player, um, the way that Montreal uses him kind of reminds me of Byron Archambault back in the day. Like he's almost like a 50 lineman and has more sacks than tackles almost. Um, but I mean, it takes a special talent to be able to do that. You know, a constant back there in Valente, you know, I think he's just a ball player, man. He, he's the type of gritty ball player that you want on your team, special teams, defense. Um, so I think he's deserved, you know, of, of his spot um, on that first team all Canadian list. Um, I am a little surprised on one though. And, and to me, I'm a little surprised that Chris McLean was the punter, right? Dating back. I still think Aldo Galvin should have been the punter from Canada West, right? For all the reasons that we've talked on earlier in the show. And you look at what McLean did. I'm not taking anything away. He had a fantastic average, right? But is he really the best punter in Canada when although half of his punts were inside the 20, you know, that's, that's my only, you know, um, asterisks I think on this list. Otherwise I think the voters for the most part got it right. How about you? Honestly, I'm not going to talk about that quarterback spot because I think you could go either way. Nice led the country in yards. Desjardins led the country in touchdowns. Simple as that. So it's 50-50. Uh, but aside from that, things look good. I will say Ashton miller Melanson. I did predict at the start of the season he would be an All-Canadian. He didn't let me down. Uh, he had a great season, though. But I'm looking at the offense. I like to see uh, that St. FX love. Malcolm Bussey, first-team All-Canadian. like to see that. I, I think I'd love to see that. It's great for that program, and they had a great season as well. And I think that's another bright spot that they can look to and build off of. I think one thing that a lot of people are looking to is, like, why does Saskatchewan only have three All-Canadians? Again, I don't know. I'm not voting. Right. Yep. I would love to have a vote, but I do think it's a little bit odd that you have the best team in Canada West who had such an amazing season only have three all Canadians. Let's move on to the second team then. 
you know, I think Isaiah Knight deservedly so. I think he had a hell of a year. You know, obviously a young cat too, only in his second year of eligibility. And I think him and Rucker are two pieces that Blake Neal can really build that program around. And and they're going to be in the conversation at the end of every Canada West year, you know, until both of those guys move on. Um, you know, got to give a huge shout out to my guy, AK Gasama. You know, is there a better dude in the country at that position to take the top off of a defense? I don't know. Right. I can't, I see it every day. So again, I'm biased, no questions asked, but the speed, the the acrobatic way that this guy would go up and get the ball. I mean, he's only five ten, and and he was dunking on dudes, like he he was wheeling in some balls that he probably shouldn't have. Um, so sh- shout out to him for for being a second team All Canadian as well. You know, I think when you look down the way as well, you see some Queens UBC representatives on the offensive line, um, and and I think both of them had really good rushing attacks throughout the year. Um, I am, you know, seeing Darius Simmons get the nod as a second team um, all Canadian at wide receiver, you know, from a McGill program. Um, I guess, again, it just comes down to, you know, he's the guy on a team that didn't have a lot of options. So kudos to him, but is he talent wise, you know, a top eight receiver in Canada? I don't know. Right. And I think that's what we can leave some of the voting for. Um, Again, I, I definitely don't envy the voters positions um, because I think there's a lot of op- options, you know, either way, when you look at the defense, you know, two guys stick out to me, uh, Ryan Baker from UBC, the linebacker, again, only in his second year. And you look at Alec Poirier, you know, those two guys in the middle. I mean, the fact that they're second team, all Canadians, I think just, you know, solidifies the point on how strong the linebacker play is, you know, coast to coast in new sports right now. And I mean, CFL, evaluators are going to be licking their lips because that just means that plug and play special teamers from day one. And, you know, they, they get to utilize their draft picks instead of trying to do this draft and develop notion. Um, shout out to David Soleil as well, the kicker from Sask. You know, I think he'll be done. I think he'll move on and possibly get a shot in the CFL as well. Um, and again, you know, everyone that uh, was named, you know, an, an all Canadian first and second team um, big ups to you because, you know, it, it's tough right? 27 teams um, to be singled out like that. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, all the, all the ups to you. I will say this. I have one problem with this list. The voters had nothing to do with it because they didn't even have the opportunity to vote for this person because this person wasn't actually named the conference all-star. All right, right. here we go. Waterloo receiver, James Basilica, seven touchdowns, 621 yards, Finished fourth in the nation in receiving yards and tied for third in receiving touchdowns. Was not even named an OUA All-Star. And so he wasn't even eligible to become an All-Canadian. Yep. Shame on the OUA voters. Shame on the OUA voters for not voting this man to be an All-Star. I don't know what happened there. I don't know how he was not named an OUA All-Star. Shame on these voters. So I'm looking at that second team All-Canadian list and I'm looking at some of these receivers and I'm saying, listen, you talked about Darius Simmons saying he might not even be a top eight receiver in Canada. Well, there's someone here who's a top five receiver in Canada who wasn't even eligible for the list. Right. Right. And I think like that's my biggest problem with this list. Again, these all Canadian voters had nothing to do with this because this man was not even eligible to be an all Canadian. So shame on the OUA voters for not voting James Basilica to be an OUA all-star, making him eligible to become all Canadian. Seeing a receiver in his final year of eligibility ball out like that have a season where he is a top five receiver statistically in Canada, not even named a conference all-star is, is just, that's the type of stuff that makes people look at you sports and say, oh, this league is a joke. That's the type of stuff that makes our league look bad. But I think the biggest part here, right, is it's hard to get unbiased opinion in this country because people that are sitting there as voters all have ties in specific areas, right? Like it's really hard to have an objective opinion because there seems to be so much crossover in terms of where, you know, you're, you're an ally to, you know, what games do you cover throughout the year, right? Who are you speaking on time and time again uh, as media people? And I think the other part of this that would eliminate some of it is when we talked about the crossover in terms of games, right? Teams playing different teams out of conference, because sometimes you get so deep in this silo, right? And for example, this year, Waterloo just wasn't a, a great team. Right. So you kind of forget 
right? And you move on. And I think if you were to take very similar to the NCAA, and I know we don't have the financial capacities in Canada right now to do it, but if you were to take a Waterloo and put them against a middle tier team from the RSEC or a middle tier team against Canada or, you know, against the Canada West foe and, you know, to go against some of these guys that are all Canadians and he were to ball out, you know what I'm saying? Then, then it's a no brainer because you're getting more eyes on the product. But a lot of the, you know, a lot of the all Canadian voters, a lot of the OUA voters, right. They just see no disrespect. They just see Waterloo kind of get smacked this year. We could go back and find direct comparisons but I mean, on a second team, right, we've got uh, Kevin Victim from Ottawa. We've got Panna Baker from Western, right, as as all Canadian DBs, right? When we look at the first team, right, we've got uh, uh, Bega Yoga from Guelph. We've also got Miller uh, Malacom from Queens. And then we've got Valente from Western. So you have six all Canadian DBs from the OUA. So I think if we went and did the homework, and we saw what his stats were against those three teams that have players as all Canadians, then voters should have woke up if he performed. If not, that's where I think some of the silence comes from. Again, I'm not trying to, you know, side one way or the other. I'm just trying to be critical of of the vote and say, I think that's where sometimes we get stuck in silos as voters. The reality is Warlu was was trash this year. Like they were not a good football team this year. The drop off from last year to this year was very bad. Their only win this year Trey was Ford against. Effect. Say it again. Trey Ford effect. The Trey Ford effect. Their only win this year was against the York Lions. That should say something about this program and where they are now. They're basically back to where they were before the rebuild started. Because before the rebuild started, the only team they were beating, if they could beat any teams, were the York Lions. But I just think for OUA voters, the reality is, I think in all these conferences, when you have conference all-stars, they're always trying to give out to every single team. They're always trying to give all-stars to every single team. Even if a team goes 0-8, they're trying to give at least one all-star somewhere. If you look at Waterloo, if you're going to give one all-star, maybe give it to one of the top five receivers in the nation statistically. I mean, they had they had Gordon Lamb on that list, who, again, had a great career, capped off his career, always all-time leader in receptions. Maybe they only wanted one receiver. I get it. You want to give it to the fifth year guy, but you know, I'm just saying James Baxley had an amazing season. I think it's just, it just didn't seem right to see, you know, someone who statistically is there, not be there. I think Gordon Lamb, I think that's a really unique situation. Um, and I think to your point, right. They probably only wanted to give one out, right. Given the year that Waterloo had there, there's ball players that statistically had good years that don't get the all Canadian love that maybe they deserve. And that happens every year, right. This isn't an anomaly. Um, I just think it's one of those, you know, aspects where some reporters or media personnel may look at stats. They're not always a part of the games, right? Other guys look at games and the impact that they have in, in big games, right? Or more so down the stretch than early on, you know? So I think, again, I don't envy the position of the voters, but I do think it calls out, you know, how is the voting done, right? How many voters are there, right? Because each each conference, this is the other part, each conference has a different number of voters. So, like, you know, we talk about parity, we talk about trying to create a dynamic by which we can all be proud of, right? And then have these lists and awards be a true representation of of the work that all of the teams and players had put in. I don't think you're ever going to have a perfect recipe, but, you know, I appreciate you giving your opinion, you know, take it or leave it. But... You know, hopefully, uh, hopefully it just makes the list that much more critical moving forward. But you raise a good point about how this voting is done, because there's actually no transparency about how it is done. And I think one of the biggest things that a lot of people have brought up over the last couple of days, just given who won the Heck Crichton Award, just given who the first team all Canadian and second team all Canadian quarterbacks were, and just given the amount of all Canadians that certain teams had versus certain teams didn't have. I'm alluding to Laval and Saskatchewan. Yeah. A lot of people are saying there's some heavy bias with this voting system. A lot of people are actually calling it the Eastern bias. Um, seeing that there's a lot of players from the East versus not a lot of players from the West. And I'm looking at Saskatchewan. I pointed them out earlier. I'm saying, man, only three all Canadians. It's a little bit, a little bit suspect, right? But yeah. do you think there is a heavy bias in how this voting is done? 
I mean, you would know better than I would, you know, I've always been told, Hey, you're a player kind of stay in your lane. You know, you're a coach now stay in your lane. You know, I'm not quite in the media circle. Uh, so I'm going to, again, stay in my lane. Um, but I think again, you know, they try and spread love because you have to, I understand that. And just because you're on a poor team doesn't mean that, you know, you're not having some sort of, um, great year, right. From an individual standpoint, I guess my question, and this has always been, you know, something that I've thought of is, you know, the team often is the sum of its component parts. And, you know, you look at Saskatchewan, for example, I mean, an eight, no, essentially an eight, no football team, seven and one football team, um, you know, that ran kind of havoc over the can West opponents, which most people think Canada West top to bottom is the most competitive conference in the country. And you look at what they were able to do. And we talk week in and week out about how Mason Ayas can spread the ball around, right? We talk about X factors and Ted Kabongo. Right. We talk about how good that defense front seven specifically is. And they get no love. And, you know, you do scratch your head and you go, okay, well, why? Right. And, you know, you look, no disrespect, you'd have to go back. But the fact, I'm going to call one guy out here, the fact that Nick Weeb, to me, is not an all Canadian, like, I shake my head at that. You know, and we talk about where these voters maybe get their bias from. I mean, this dude's in Oregon transfer. All he's done since last year is step in and be the best, you know, one of the best linebackers in Canada West, no doubt. And you look at what he did yesterday. It's hard to argue he's not, you know, in the top five linebacker conversation in Canada. And he's left completely off this list. To answer your question, I'm not sure if there is a bias. I really hope there's not, you know, from from a, a fan standpoint. But hey, I mean, voters are going to vote. A guy like Nick Weeb, shit, I would just use it as motivation and, and come back, you know, and, and prove myself in spades next year. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think there's a bias. I think, like we've mentioned before, you can never fully avoid bias. But I don't think bias has a big of an effect as people have thought it does over the last couple of days. Again, you look back recent years when Calgary was running the Canada West Conference and they were you know, going to national championships. They had a ton of all Canadians. Yeah. When UBC was at their peak, when Blake Nell first got there, you know, back in 2015 and they had their Vanny Cup year, they had a lot of all Canadians. I think this year you do scratch your head. And you do say it looks a little bit weird. Like you just said, again, Nick, we this year he had 40.5 tackles. 40.5 tackles. He was key in stopping the run. He can drop back into coverage. He can do it all. Yeah. Right. And for him to not be an all Canadian, you scratch your head. Even I'm looking at John Stahl. Yeah. What an amazing season. He had 18 tackles, uh, one sack, three interceptions. He was a DB last year, a backup DB. He was a backup halfback that switched over to linebacker. And he became literally one of the best coverage linebackers in the country. And he was a Canada West all-star who was not voted to be an all Canadian. Yeah. Now, again, linebacker play in Canada is as good as it's ever been, like you just said. But even for him to be an all-star and be eligible to be an all-Canadian and not get voted in, in the recent years, I don't think there's been a bias as big as people think it might have been. I think this year it just makes people scratch their heads. I think there's a lot of emotion as well when it comes to Saskatchewan fans. Yep. Right. You, you talk about one of the best fan bases in the country. There's a lot of emotion there. And when they get snubbed, they notice it. When their team is deserving of something and doesn't get it, they notice it and they speak up about it. So it might be the whole entire province of Saskatchewan speaking up for their team, and rightfully so, along with the rest of the Canada West rallying around them, and rightfully so, because I think Saskatchewan was deserving of a bit more love. DJ, final episode, but before we sign off, I just thought of this. I want to put both of us on the spot. Let's give some way-too-early predictions for next year let's start with the heck Crichton award who's one player that you could see winning the heck Crichton award in 2023 that's a loaded question my man i mean it's it's hard not to argue with the three players that are coming back right from from the heck nominees this year um i think you add desjardins to that conversation for for four i think someone that hasn't been mentioned 
And I think someone that probably deserves to be in that conversation is who is going to step up a quarterback in the Canada West. I think Rooker, possibly a Jackson Tachinsky. Guys kind of play similar, right? Can sling the rock and run around, you know, make plays happen. You know, I'd like to see the dynamic between those two, you know, and how they fight out for that Can West, you know, quarterback all-star nod. Um, and I think that might be something to keep our eyes on. But really, I'm going to go off, off the chart here. Okay, I'm going to go off the chart just a little bit. So stay with me. The University of Montreal, if they come back and they win the Dunsmore next year, and if Fernaccio has a similar impact that he had this year for that team, could we see this little? Could we see this little um, makeover in Canada football? You see Enoch. Shout out to my guy Enoch on winning MVP and most outstanding Canadian. For the Grey Cup. But hold, could, on, hold on, sorry. He won for which team? Enoch. Enoch, he was the MOC and MOP in the Grey Cup, obviously. Yeah. For St. Effects. St. Effects. No, 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 no. <laughs> which team did he win for in the Grey Cup? Toronto. Yeah, your boys. Yeah, your, there we go. There we boys. go. My bad. Just have to get that your in. Boys. Get that in. Yeah, yeah, your boys. Your boys. I think, I mean, again, I'm biased. I'm biased as all hell in this. I would love to see a defensive player step up and win MVP. I think given the, again, the way that Montreal plays their backers, like you're talking about Fernacho, the dude had 10 and a half sacks. If he balls out like that, and we're talking double digit sack numbers again, and if Montreal beats Laval and represents the RSEC in a bowl game, Give it to the defense, man. Give it to the defense. Enoch, if you hear this, when you hear this, defend me, please. But I do think that oftentimes, you know, we go straight to the quarterback. I'm really happy that we had positional players get the love they deserve this year. But I think it's time that a defensive player is part of that conversation. Now, if Laval beats Montreal, I mean, give it to my towel. Give it to Desjardins again. No questions asked. But if they don't. I think the Montreal Caravan defense will be the difference maker. Thus, I think Fernaccio, given his role on that defense, should be in that conversation. You said I gave you a loaded question, but you just gave a loaded answer, bro. Wow. That is a big answer right there. And you know what? It's so funny you say that. I was actually thinking about it the other day. I'm like, wow, when have we ever seen a defensive player even be in nomination for the heck? Right? We don't even see defensive players win their conference MVPs. Right, but you look at the season that Fernacio had. He's one defensive player of the year. Ten and a half sacks. In his second year. In his second year. That is scary. And we're seeing, and I think it's pretty cool that we're seeing all these young players who are in their second year putting up these scary numbers. But again, like he wreaked havoc on the RCQ this year. So I personally would love to see a defensive player win their conference MVP and be nominated for the heck. I think that would be amazing. But let's see if uh let's see if he can actually, you know, put up some numbers and, and trump what he did this year because it's gonna be tough to, you know, beat out 10 and a half sacks. And I and I think to be honest, I think if he better than he was this year, he's gonna have to put up record numbers, basically. He's yeah. gonna have to come close to breaking some records, right? Well so, that's my point, right? Yeah, if, exactly. If he, if he if he gets better and, and development continues to happen. I mean, again, Montreal had one of the best defenses in the country this year statistically their defense was better than Laval's. So my whole thing is if Laval and Montreal end up in the Dunsmore and over the course of the year, if we're talking about these big numbers that Fernaccio can put forth in the two games that they'll play Laval and the third, probably in a Dunsmore, if Fernaccio can be a difference maker and ultimately, right. If ultimately they can win against Laval, it's really hard to look to, any offensive player in Montreal and say, oh, you're the reason because we already know what Laval has on offense. Now we've seen it. So the Caravan defense would have to step up, right? They would have to be the difference maker. And I, to me, you look at the best defensive player on that team, Fernaccio, 
If he's if we're talking like 14, 15 sacks, if we're talking like 40 tackles, give this dude his rightful place in the heck Creighton nominee conversation. That's big. That's big. That's big right there. That was not the answer I expected. But you know what? Coming from a linebacker now, I'm not surprised. Former linebacker. Yeah, I, I said I'm biased. Yeah. <laughs> so for this answer, but I think it's going to be Arnold Desjardins. I'm looking at Arnold Desjardins, and I think, again, he had a fantastic season this year. His first year as a starter led the nation in passing touchdowns. 2,555 passing yards, completes 71% of his passes, and he has Kevin Mattel. Next season, I can see Arnaud Desjardins with Mattel. If they get better as a duo, I can see Desjardins eclipsing the 3,000-yard mark in passing. I agree, man. I agree. And I think back to the last quarterback that we saw eclipse the 3,000-yard mark in passing. It was Adam Snagra. And they gave him the heck. So... Are we to your point then? Are we going to sit here and say that the heck's going to come out of the RSEC next year again? Yes. Okay. We're on the same side on that then. All right. Yes. It will come out the RCQ 100%. I think it's going to be Desjardins. I think he's going to put up 3,000 plus passing yards. He might even break Sinagra's record. And I think he's going to put up 30 plus touchdowns to that point. All right. Yeah. To that point, though, I see Mattel having maybe 15 touchdowns. Nah, right. Half of those. Um, but if if Desjardins can put up 3,000-plus passing yards, 30-plus uh, touchdowns, and complete, again, 70% of his passes, even 69% of his passes, unbelievable. Unbelievable. We're looking at, seriously, one of the greats right here. So I'm looking at Arnold Desjardins. I'm saying he's going to be the head credit award winner next year. I think he's going to have a record-breaking season. That trumps what he did this year. Um, so that's my pick. DJ, conference champions from each team next year. I'll start with that. Yeah, you start. OUA, OUA, I got Queens. His eyes lit up. His eyes lit up when I said that. <laughs> okay, OUA, if we're going conference to conference here, I got to stick with Western. I think um, they lose a couple O-linemen, no questions asked. They lose their safety. Um, the way that G-Marsh can recruit, man, yeah, Western's going to still be there. OUA, I got Queens only because – Steve Snyder said that Alex Vreekin is a heck Crichton type of quarterback. So I'm going to believe in that. I'm going to put him on a spot and I'm going to say, if he's a heck Crichton type of quarterback, let's see him live up to the hype. Let's see him put up those numbers, right? If Steve Snyder believes in him like that, let's see it. They're going to have a solid front seven, Sals Hubert, OUA, uh, lineman of the year, Ashton Miller, Melanson, he's going to come back. I think he's going to have another all Canadian type of season. Their defense is always going to be solid. Yep. Okay, but I'd like to see that defense now take it to the next level. Can they shut down that Western run game that we'll always see be elite, right? Because now we've seen what it takes to beat Western. The formula is actually not that complicated as, as people think. If you can load the box and tackle well, tackle well, yep. have solid linebacker play, yep. and force the ball into Evan Hillock's hands, you have a chance. Now, Evan Hillock, he's not going to just sit around all offseason and come back as the same player next year. I'm sure he's going to come back as a much better passer next season, right? He, he worked this past offseason with Will Finch. Let's see who's going to work with this offseason. Maybe he should get into the gym with Chris Merchant and Will Finch. Yep. Let's see. I want to see Queens break through. I want to see a new champion in the OUA. So you got Western. I got Queens. Let's move on to the RSCQ. I think it's Montreal versus Laval. I think Laval's just got too much star power to, to be avoided here. Um, but I think it's going to be closer than some think. I agree. Now, I think it's going to be Laval. I think it's going to be Laval because I think they're just getting started with who they have right now. They're just getting started. They could be, lo- but hold on. They could be losing Poirier on defense, which is a massive hole that they need to fill, right? A massive hole. And they're losing two of the five O line. And they're probably losing David Dallaire. And they're probably losing David Dallaire. Yeah. So that's so those, are, those are four dudes that stepped up and balled out that they're going to have to replace. Now, Laval, very much like Western, they just got dudes waiting there for their their chance. But it's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee. Let's look at Montreal, because I think Montreal, in the beginning of the season, it seemed like they had things together, and they lost momentum as the season progressed. Big thing for Montreal, Hussein Doso, their number one receiver from 2021, came back in the playoffs. So Jonathan Senecal didn't have his number one target the entire season. Does Hussein Doso come back next year and play a full year? 
a full right. healthy year? And if so, what does that offense look like? Because we know Hussein Doso and Jonathan Senecal, they can be just as good. They can be as a duo just as good as Desjardins and Mattel. That's I truly believe that in my heart. Right. So if those two come back and are a duo next year, then you're looking at now a second offense in the RCQ that's going to be showtime. But ultimately, again, like you said, they're losing Poirier. They're losing two defensive linemen. They're probably losing David Dallaire. But I just believe more in who they have waiting in the weights. I believe more also in the recruiting when it comes to Laval. So I'm always going to trust Laval is going to have better plug and play players in Montreal, even though those are two powerhouse programs. Um, but I got Laval in RCQ. Who do you got? I got Laval. You got Laval? Okay. Let's keep, you know, let's keep Gary Waterman happy. Let's go to the AUS. I got St. FX for every reason we've talked on all year. I don't even need to sit here any further. They're going to be able to recruit nationally now because of their performance against Sask. It's St. FX. They win the conference. It's not close. Give them the crown already. Yeah, 8-0. No. Number one offense. Number one defense. St. FX. Shouts to Gary Waterman, first African-Canadian to actually win U-Sports Coach of the Year. But That's massive. That's massive. That's exactly. All right, here we go. Canada West. The Université of Manitoba. We underperformed. We were part of that conversation early on, and I think we're probably not going to be part of that conversation for, you know, the reasons, uh, you know, for, for our play and, you know, maybe uh, letting some voters down early on. Um but we only graduate two to three guys and we got a super young team with a ton of adversity, a uh, big chip in on their shoulder now. And um, I'm really excited to see some youth, you know, step up and, and reinvigorate um, some of that culture. And um, I got to go with, with the boys. So university of Manitoba Bisons are going to be the can West champs in 2023, but it'll be facing the university of British Columbia. Thunderbirds, they're a good football program. We'll see how many guys come back from the CFL draft that are eligible. Uh, and we'll see if Rooker can come back from that catastrophic knee injury. Uh, but I think those are the top two teams in, in Canada West moving into next year. Not to disrespect the Huskies, they're, they're going to be good. They're just too big of a question mark at quarterback. And it's not like you're just graduating somebody and moving somebody in. You're graduating the best player from Canada West over the last three years. So I wasn't surprised to hear you say Manitoba. I think you have to say Manitoba. But I do see Manitoba being in the Hardy Cup next year. I think they have to be in the Hardy Cup next year. I, I definitely agree with you when you say y'all underperformed this year. I think there was a lot of left on the table potential with the University of Manitoba. Jackson Tichinski. I've always been high on Jackson Tuchinski, and I'm excited to see what he does as a starter. I think he's going to be really good. I think the few times he's come in at quarterback this year that we've seen him, he shows some really good signs. I think he did a great job last season in relief of Des Catelier. I'm excited to see him be a full-time starter. Garrett Rooker and UBC, if Garrett Rooker comes back, I have UBC winning the Canada West Conference. I have UBC, Manitoba in the Hardy Cup. I have UBC winning it. Ultimately, it's all about if Garrett, Rooker, if Garrett Rooker comes back. Likewise, yep. If he comes back, I think that's the team to beat in Canada West, along with y'all. You talked about earlier about who that next quarterback is going to be to step up in Canada West. Garrett Rooker's already there if he comes back, but I'm looking solely at Jackson Tuchinski. Find another quarterback in this country that also balled out on special teams. There you go. Jackson Tuchinski is just made different. I'm excited to see him now take control of the offense. And, and see what he can do to carry on Dez's legacy, right, and, and what he's been able to do in that quarterback room. But Rooker versus Tachinsky, you know, two, you know, dual-threat quarterbacks. Canada West is going to be exciting, man. That's a glimpse into the future. Anyways, DJ, it's the final episode, man. Tissues are right beside you, eh? To the left. I'm going to let you get the last word here. Persevere does not happen without Deshaun Stevens. Um, so shout out to you, man, for bringing me into the fold here. Uh, for keeping, you know, football in Canada as part of a weekly conversation and really shining the spotlight on a ton of student athletes, coast to coast, that deserve to have their name in that conversation. Uh, to all the listeners, to all the fans, to all the people that tuned in with us week in and week out, you know, I appreciate you. We appreciate you. Uh, and we look forward to doing it again next year. Uh, and to all the players, coaches, support staff, you know, everyone that's part of the U Sports football family, 
Uh, this doesn't happen without you. The game is getting better. The coverage is getting better. And we have so much to be thankful for and so much to look forward to uh, when it comes to U-Sports football. So, again, from my standpoint, from the one half of this podcast, I appreciate you guys, and I look forward to when we get to to do this again soon. DJ, all I got to say is thank you, man. Real talk. It's been a pleasure having you on this season, and I think there's no better co-host that I could have asked for, man, that the people could have asked for. So uh, I think everyone appreciates, you know, having you be a part of this. The insights you bring are just amazing. You know, I think, and I and I truly believe you're one of the, the better football minds in this country, one of the best football minds in this country. So just thank you for being a part of this show. And I think to everyone that's welcomed us into their living rooms, big ups to you. Season two is going to be blessed. I think season two has been in the works already now since the beginning of October since you know before halfway through season one so season two is going to be amazing we got some big things coming so to people who've made it this far to the end of the season big ups to you this podcast will always be available on spotify google podcast apple podcast where we get your podcast for all things you sports related make sure you follow us on instagram at persevere underscore twitter at persevere underscore and tiktok at persevere one last time this is Deshaun stevens dj lama signing off from the final episode take care leave it